0: Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network and I am joined by Tracy Pearson braving the wilds of Westwood to bring you all sorts of fall camp information. Tracy, how are you?
1: Oh, sorry Dave. I was dozing off just a little. I tried something really stupid today. I, I tried to go a day without having my cup of coffee.
0: I would have a splitting headache by about 2 p.m. if i tried to not drink
1: coffee. I'm a perpetual yawn. I'm just one long yawn. I'm it's wow. Yeah. It's my favorite drug. It truly is and we just we just don't appreciate it enough what it does for us. The world would end. I mean it would just suddenly just stop if there were suddenly no coffee.
0: Yeah. I mean it is a, it is a drug. It's an addictive substance. That's like, you know, what if we'd all developed, like, a cocaine habit 400 years ago instead of a coffee habit? Like, would we, would we have, like, a really, really diluted version of cocaine that we could all just snort in the morning and feel, like, really good the rest of the day?
1: Or, if, yeah, if just those ancestors somehow had made a drink out of cocaine.
0: I mean, some of those ancestors did, but then they, you know, still It didn't catch on like they, coffee, though. They, they removed it from the, uh, from the beverage uh, that had the cocoa... Powder. Um, I mean,
1: it's also like a happy drug. I don't think everyone realizes you have coffee. Coffee, you're suddenly kind of happy. You know, I mean, it makes you happy.
0: I know it's the it's magical. Also, it's a wondrous drug. It's an amazing drug.
1: Um, you know, what's really sad. My daughter, it doesn't work on her. That's depressing. So she's you know studies all night and everything without the aid of coffee. I don't know. I don't know how she does it. That's she's going to have to find herself a drug. I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But you out there, you already have your drug. It's UCLA Sports.
0: And that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about UCLA Sports. Was that a good segue? What would you
1: think? Ah, I'd give that. You know, I I have a high bar for your segues. You really did well last week. So that was like a B minus. It was still fine. Like it was
0: acceptable level. But obviously we'll try to do better the rest of the show.
1: Yeah, how, how did you do at UCLA if that's acceptable grade? Dude. Well,
0: Tracy, as you know, I had a uh, 2.74 GPA as a UCLA student, so I'm right in the B-minus territory.
1: So that means you just walked in without any preparation, and because I know you didn't study.
0: No, no, no. What I did was I didn't buy the books or go to class, so what I was often doing was um, – this is the craziest thing I did, because this was back in the pre-real internet days, but I would use Amazon book reviews as my reading. So I would look at an Amazon book review of the like text that I was supposed to have read, and then take a test or write an essay based on that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So really, yeah, the, just gave, the yeah. 2.74 GPA is actually kind of impressive in context.
1: Thank you, Amazon.
0: Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, we got to talk some UCLA. Um, fall camp is in full swing. Two weeks in, two weeks out, really. Two weeks from out. The Cincinnati, from, today. from the Cincinnati football game. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. Um, but there's obviously some notes that I think are causing some anxiety for a lot of bros out there. So I wanted to, and UCLA fans generally, um, we don't know who's listening to this. Um, that are uh, <laughs> those four vagabonds people. and vagrants Identify could be listening yourself. to this I have no idea um, so we uh we wanted to touch on a few of those things because they're uh, you know uh, they give us they keep us up at night too, so there have been a few injuries. Um, I want to start with the most maybe the most uh telling one, the most interesting one, the most uh you know uh, thing that maybe is making people the most worried, which is still Joshua Kelly um, who suffered a knee injury, um, uh, a little over a week ago now, I think, um, and is still kind of, uh, working his way back. What, what's, what's, what's your general sense of his status right now?
1: I think like I wrote yesterday, he looked, um, the most mobile range of motion that he's had since he's had the injury yesterday. He, 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 you know, maybe I, I can't remember, but they're all now putting braces underneath their uniforms, like on their knees and things, which I don't distinctly remember them just doing a few years ago, and, and he has it. So it, it takes me a while because he's way across the field to even determine if he has it on. But yesterday, he moved better. He didn't. He only looked hampered by a brace. You know, it didn't look like he was favoring it. Um so that was good. He's you know two weeks out. You know he's still going to be he's still going to be rusty. Uh, I would think he's got to come back and really practice game week to to really be ready to play. But positive news that is that he, he looked different yesterday. Yeah. So there's that.
0: He's as Chip Kelly said, all those yellow all those guys in yellow they're progressing because they're in yellow, right? <laughs>
1: He Chip Kelly did say that.
0: Yes. yes. Those were words that came out of his mouth more or less. Yes. Um okay, so Joshua Kelly working his way back. We'll see, you know, what it you know, how long it actually takes, but at least progress obviously being made there. Um the other one, uh this is a more recent injury, uh, to Alec Anderson, um the starting left tackle, um, who more or less reported his surgery himself, um, I think on Instagram the other night. Um so what, uh, what's your sense of that one? Chip Kelly, um, when interviewed, didn't seem to think, didn't give off the impression that it was going to be overly serious. But, you know, if you're getting surgery, that's got to be at least somewhat serious. So what's, what's, what's your sense of that one?
1: Um, I've, I've heard from uh, a, a few people that uh, three to four weeks total, so they were hopefully expecting him back by the Oklahoma game.
0: That would be... I mean, given, given, I think everyone had visions of a season ending injury dancing in their heads.
1: It's uh, absolutely not that. Now, whether he comes back Oklahoma game after whatever, but it's, uh, from what I've learned, it's not season ending. Well, that's, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into the impact of these
0: things in a second, but I want to touch on the other one, but that's obviously good news. Um, the, the final one is the one that is serious, which is Tyree Thompson, which, uh, Kelly more or less offhandedly acknowledged was going to keep him out of the opener at the very least. But uh, do,
1: do we know if that one's a full season ender yet? We do not. Um, I, I I would have to. You know, I'm 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 reading Chip Kelly's lips, <laughs> <laughs> and that one sounded more like that potentially could be season ending. But yeah. I'm I'm just. This is not – the other things that I've said were based on information. This is based on interpreting Chip Kelly speak.
0: My sense of what Chip Kelly said is that he may have forgotten that he didn't tell you it was a season-ending injury. And that he said it so (laughs) offhandedly and matter-of-factly that it felt – Oops, can I take that back? (laughs) Yeah, no, but it felt like one of those things where he's like, oh, we didn't tell you that or we didn't release that information would have been the follow-up if somebody was like, well, is that a season-ender? We Uh, should
1: try that. We should just start talking about something like – like, Honestly, try that.
0: whatever you want at this point because, frankly, dude's not giving you much, so whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I mean, well, I guess we'll talk about it if you let's, want. Let's talk about these injuries first, and then I want to okay. get into
0: that because that's been a hot topic okay. on the board. But, um, okay, it's so good. Kelly, um, we talked about, I think we talked about this last week. That's how long this one's been going on. But um, he, uh, you know, whether he's back for game one or game two or game three, um, you know, full, fully or limited or whatever, I don't see that one being a huge uh, huge issue for the season. The, the only unfortunate piece is, you know, a month ago we identified Cincinnati. We we're like, okay, that that game's going to be hugely critical and the most limited he's going to be if he's limited at all is going to be in that game. Um so but I don't yeah, I, I don't see I don't see this offense being so you know, single guy dependent. I think uh, Martel Irby, by this point in his you know development, or just the offense generally, should be able to make up for the fact that he might not be fully hundred percent for that game.
1: I'm actually, I know, uh, you know, we we are Joshua Kelly fans, obviously, but I'm probably a little bit more concerned with who would step in to play left tackle than who than who the running back would be for sure. to spell Josh Josh Kelly. Um, you're throwing in a true freshman who's never played college football, who didn't come in in spring, and we're talking about Sean Ryan, at left tackle. I'm still kind of a little surprised at this point that, that like we talked about last week, that Jake Burton hasn't even had a go at left tackle yet. Um, but like we said, sometimes there's uh, a, an offensive tackle really – Favors one side of the line and literally might not be able to play the other side. But I think that's there's so much on the offensive line that you have to know your assignment. There are so many things you've got to do right just when it comes to knowing who you're blocking, knowing how to your footwork of how to seal someone off, knowing what you're doing in conjunction with the rest of the line and the tight ends. I mean, running backs, yeah, you got to know a lot, but it's like, okay, just, you know, run to daylight.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, yeah, obviously there's more to it than that, but for sure. I mean, it's a much simpler thing than what you're doing on the offensive line.
1: Right. So, um, And one guy on the offensive line might be able to screw up the entire offensive line. I, I would suspect if Sean Ryan does play and start, we might see... I don't know, Dave. I mean, I'd have to think some. They would be favoring the right side of the line. But if you're Chip Kelly, you could just see Chip Kelly's defiance and saying, "No, we're not going to change. We're just going to do what we do," kind of thing. I love it when coaches say that.
0: We're just going to do what we do. It is what it yeah. is. Um, yeah, next guy up. No problem. Next guy up. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean that that one. I think is you're 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 right. I think that is probably more significant uh for that game especially because it's game 1. You know, if if Sean Ryan was getting reps for six games and then he has to get thrown in in like the seventh game as a starter, um that's a different deal. But doing it <laughs> in game 1. I mean, we saw a, a game 1 starter in Chris Murray last year at center and I mean, that went about as as good as it can go at a semi at a similarly critical position and it was still not great. Um so
1: I think I think we've even written about this before. You could see in the first three games. I mean, with new players, Boss Tagaloa out, a new scheme, new offensive line coach. It looked like they literally didn't know where they were going. Yeah, you know, <laughs> those first few games. Yeah, uh, and then by the end, it was like a synchronized. You know swimming, <laughs>
0: yeah, it was, it was ballet, um, no, yeah, it, it
1: was ballet, but the uh, first few games they, there was a lot of confusion
0: so this is a theory I've been thinking about a little bit, which is maybe the because that offense looked so good at the end of the year last year and they returned so much from it, any one injury or two injuries, even no matter what position they are, it's not going to change. Too much the flow of that offense because now kind of everybody knows where they're supposed to be and what they're doing, and it is as you you know have pointed out, and as we've talked about um, a, a, it's a it's seemingly a schematically superior offense um, and it's just a question of whether the guy who steps in and this is why I think the sean ryan thing is is important is whether the guy who steps in is not an active disaster, like whether he can come in and just be fine just step in and not mess anyone else up not run into the guard next to him just kind of hold his position do his thing um and that's I mean because it's a true freshman obviously a super talented true freshman but a true freshman nonetheless you just don't know I mean you you just don't know what it's going to look like when he actually steps into gameplay so yeah I, I I think that's right to identify and then um Tyree Thompson obviously um that one's you know, if if you were looking at it last year, if Tyree Thompson had gotten hurt in like the eighth or ninth game last year, it's like, oh wow, I guess I'm playing inside linebacker for UCLA. That's great. <laughs> um, but weirdly, a year later,
1: I'd love to see that beard coming out of the helmet. I,
0: mean, I would not like to die on a football field. So um, <laughs> good, good thing it ever happened. But um, if uh, it, it, Tyree Thompson going down now, not at least in my estimation, looking at it, not as big of a deal because there are more options this year at inside linebacker.
1: Honestly, the thing that's, I mean, just from the humanities side of it, Tyree Thompson has been through a lot, you know, to go to fight his way there from a JC and a few other things to get to that point. And he was in, you know, he had had really trained hard in the offseason from what I heard. He was in really good physical shape. It looked like he really had mastered the defense a bit, so that's that's just a shame. And I, I mean, I don't. From what I could see, he does not have a red shirt available. He'd have to get a sixth year, I think. So that, that's that's kind of tragic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and uh, and then the other worry is at running back that Kazmir Allen is just on the stationary bike at this point. So there's. And the true freshman jamal McClendon's in yellow, so that's three running i don 't think Jamon McClendon was going to play, but you still have three running backs who are and even piling on that the skill positions you 've got in yellow, it looks like they gave their skill positions yellow jerseys because then you've <laughs> got you've got Diamond Lee and Theo Howard in yellow, and there was Michael azike who. Miraculously, just came off. That's the first guy who's come off a yellow jersey. So there is some worry. I, I mean, with have you ever broken a wrist or had anything on your happen to your wrist because you don't just miraculously—I've used that word twice—take off the cast and everything's just miraculously <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you just yeah. I, will Theo Howard just be able to rip that thing off and run out onto the field and be fine? I I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah. Um, so, there, yeah, all the injuries, it's funny because Chip Kelly said, well, I don't think we've had that many. And probably all in all, he hasn't had that many, but like I wrote, it's been... Probably, maybe not that many, but some significant ones when you have your star running back, your number one receiver, and your left tackle.
0: that is That, that does seem like a lot.
1: Yeah. Those are kind of critical.
0: And you're starting inside linebacker. Too.
1: And you're starting inside road,
0: linebacker.
1: Yeah. So, um, we'll, I'd have to expect that Chip is is not... I don't think Chip necessarily lies at, you know, when he's talking to the media. He's just not completely forthright, but I don't think he's deceiving anyone necessarily. And I think I, his I natural think, instinct to be contrarian um, sometimes yes. comes into conflict with the truth. Yeah. So I think if he says those guys, pro, you know, if he kind of implies they have a chance to come back, I, I'm going to take him at that implication.
0: Yeah. And he doesn't, yeah. I mean,. I mean, I'm reading body language from afar, but he does not. So with Tyree Thompson, you know, it sounded obvious like he's going to miss some time. And, you know, I would say with like Alec Anderson, he sounded like a little bit more like, you know, defensive. With everyone yeah. else, he seems so dismissive of the idea that we're even asking the question that it makes <laughs> me think they must not be, you know, all of that crippling for them. Um Yeah. So that's a
1: good way to read it. That's a very good way to read it. The ones that he seems kind of gruff and dismissive over are maybe the guys that have a chance to come back pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Dave. Look at me. Look um, at you. Let's let's should we talk about our man chippy now?
1: Yeah, I think we sh- I think we should. I mean, since it's kind of a we've got a lot of different sides of this fence when it comes to Chip's demeanor uh, with the media. You know, there are, there are the people who say, oh, who cares how he deals with the media as long as he wins. And then there are uh, basically the other side, the other faction that says it's part of his job. He should learn how to do it. It's critical that, you know, it's, it's a, it's an element of running the program, of dealing with the media. And like I've pointed out, the media, you know, journalists are human. They they like you if you give them information or if you're just even cordial to them and treat them well. And I've witnessed it that the in my experience of doing this, the people on the beat who like coaches tend to write a little bit better about those coaches than the coaches they don't like for sure yeah that's natural um, human stuff
0: um yeah so stuff. i i want to speak to a a, a a a subset that you're missing i think which is the okay. people who not only don't think it's a problem they think he's being smart and strategic by being rude or condescending well well
1: i okay go ahead because i i, I there's a real big distinction here that these, a lot of the people aren't getting, but go ahead. Okay, I want to start
0: with that group because I think that's the most obvious one, which is um, there is absolutely no upside to it. You can be as circumspect with info as you want to be. Many coaches, most coaches, the vast majority of coaches aren't telling you anything in an interview. That's so what
1: coaches do? I, I would love to find the very coach few. Rick Neuheisel of-
0: did. That's and Jim Moore. Early Jim Moore would occasionally tell you some stuff. Um, but otherwise, if it's in a scrum type setting, coaches aren't saying anything. They don't do that. Um, but there's a way of doing it where you're not actively, you know, pissing people off. Where you're not actively being rude to people. Where you're not actively talking down to people. Like yeah. I mean, there were a couple of lines last year which it was like. Well, you know, some people, you know, don't really know what they're looking at when they watch a football game. Um, In reference to the question question he was just asking, you don't need to do that. You can just say, well, actually, we don't run that play a whole lot. But when we do X, Y and Z. Um, And it's just uh, there's a way to do all of this where you're not actively insulting people. And the reason there's no upside is what do you gain by pissing off the media? Like what is what is the actual end result for you? You don't get better coverage. Um, it's yeah. not like they're going to some, somehow write better because you're being a, a little bit snippy with them. Um, you you could provide the same little info without being rude. So what actually is the upside? So it's not. I, I I a lot of people seem to want to ascribe to Chip Kelly all of these like genius qualities, and there's no doubt the man is an offensive genius. But just because something somebody is very good at one thing doesn't mean that all of the actions they perform are then subsequently genius. Bill Belichick is not a genius for being a dick to the media. Um, that's just that's a that's a byproduct. That's a um, that's a that's something that doesn't does has no effect on the actual genius that he is. You know the the football genius. It's it's something that you put up with because he's a football genius. Um, and if Chip Kelly wins, as, as you know, that first subset you talked about, if Chip Kelly wins a ton, none of this is going to matter. But that's not to say that this is part of him winning a ton. It has nothing to do with it. It's an extraneous piece that, altogether, it would be nicer if he didn't do.
1: Well, ex- exactly. And, and uh, there, there are a few things. The argument that people are, are first trying to—that keep repeating— that they keep making is what, why do you keep asking the question? You know, he's not going to answer it. Well, let's just say that, you know, it's completely untrue, but go ahead. uh, uh, Yeah. Um, first number one, it is absolutely untrue. He's capricious. Sometimes he'll answer the question and sometimes he won't exactly. So if it were, and even just put it this way, even if, I mean, we're going at about a 99.9% rate of him not answering a question. It's still our job to ask the question because there might be that 0.1 time when we get an answer. That's what we're, I mean, just because if coaches don't say anything, no one should have a press conference. We're there to try to see if we can get him to tell us something. I mean, that's our job. So everyone's always going to keep trying and keep asking him the same questions. Now on, But that's not even the case because he does give up information. He just gives it up in kind of a, a, a semi-difficult way. There are times, like recently when I asked him about an offensive lineman, and he, immediate, like, he immediately defaulted to his contrarian for about 15, 20 seconds. Then by the time he kept talking, you could almost see like, that kind of resistance go out of him. Then he just answered the question. Yeah. So, I mean, he just – you're right. There's a contrarian element in him, and there's a lot of contrarian elements in all of us. <laughs> um, but it, to me, it takes so much more effort. It takes more time. This is the part time also that effort. drives me
0: crazy is people talk yeah. about him as if he's an efficiency expert. And it's like, do you know how much longer it takes to quibble and parse a question before you then just answer it anyway? Or answer yeah. it – like? If you just answered, hey, how's Baracka Beckett doing? And you said, oh, he's doing well. He's coming along nicely. How long did that take me? Two seconds? Right. Yep. And instead, well, you know, he's competing against himself and blah, 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 blah. And that takes you 40 seconds. You've given the exact same information, but one took you a lot longer. Let's be yeah, we haven't even media.
1: drawn any conclusions on him. We haven't looked. We're just looking at everyone. We haven't really looked at, you know, anyone really specifically. You know, everyone's just out here competing right now, you know, and when you ask me, like, how someone's doing, you know, I'm not going to be able But, you know, Brocka Beckett, we really, <laughs> exactly. we really like. And he's, I mean, yeah. But it's, I don't – he's not going to change.
0: No. And, it,
1: I, and I understand that. But and, – and the media is not going to change. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, all the media is still going to go there and ask him questions. And, you know, the, the media the is pretty Teflon. I mean, no one's walking away grumbling about Chip Kelly. They know that this is their job. You know, it's not like they're pissed off at what Chip says to them. Um, I, I haven't really experienced it that much uh, or at all. I mean, so it's just really... You know, it's not going to discourage the media from asking him questions. If that's the end game and the goal, that's never going to happen. So why not make it more efficient for all of us? Just answer abruptly.
0: Honestly, he'd have a better chance of the thing being over quickly if he answered the questions super quickly and super succinctly because sometimes it can be tough, like minute two or three, to think of what you're going to ask next. And if you're answering the questions rapid fire nobody's going to be able to really keep up with it. There's not going to be a 10-minute interview in your future, Chip, if you just answer the damn questions.
1: And, um, and then on top of it, and that's just the base thing. We're not even talking about being cordial. I mean, that's you, you can just be direct and not necessarily be cordial. But then on top of it, it, it only behooves you to be cordial, cordial to the media, they're going to be writing about you and your program. And we've seen Chip Kelly is not a charmless human being. No, he can turn he has it on. A that's sense what, humor. That's what's he can turn it on. That's actually yeah. what's
0: annoying. Is yeah. he does it when it's? I mean, even look at yesterday. Why do you think he was more charming yesterday? Because there was a, uh, there was a TV guy there.
1: Yeah, it's not even TV. I think he just senses. Uh, I think he probably hasn't given this a second thought, but we have. And it's, it's more national media coverage. Like when he's at the PAC 12 media day and he senses all the people that just aren't the beat people, he's, you know, he's charming. He's out there, he's showing his personality, but with the beat somehow, and I'm sure he's not doing it on purpose, but for somehow that just brings out his more contrary kind of, I
0: I mean, I think I think he is doing it on purpose. You think so? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. And I don't know why. I don't know why he has um, issues with local versus national or whatever it is, or if he's just decided he doesn't like the media generally, but he knows from a from a broad standpoint he needs to not be a huge, um, you know, jerk to the national media or whatever it is. But I think he. I think he knows what he's doing. I, I, I don't think it's smart, but I think he knows what he's doing.
1: So, Dave, you're going to the Cincinnati game, and you're going to do the post game interview.
0: Yeah. I mean, I interviewed him in the spring, and he was fine yeah, that, that's true. And he was fine that day. I mean, but it's just it's so hit or miss with him. Maybe um, it's you. Maybe, maybe it's he just name. looks maybe,
1: maybe he he's looks like, into those glowing brown eyes and that beard where you could just get lost for days, and it just wins him over. Well, he is starting to grow a beard or a mustache, at least. No, he, oh. he, okay, so y'all don't, probably can't even see it that well on the video, but first he was just growing stubble, and then the sign that someone's, and I'm just gonna talk generally about men, the sign that someone is actually thinking about it is if they shave their neck when they have the stubble, right, yeah. I've done that, Sure. so then that happened, and then I don't even know how many days later, or if it was just the next one, then it was shaved to where he had the goatee. Mm. He had a little white silver goatee, and now this last one, it was all gone.
0: So I got to I, I, – I mean this is a side note, but um, blonde beards are tough. Like they're – I think if, if you've got – if you're – like if your skin tone is wrong – like, it's just a little too of that same blondy color. Like, if you're, a little, if you're a little bit darker or even a little bit lighter, I think it can work. But his skin tone is just wrong that you can't really tell it's there and you can't really tell what color it is. So it's hard to know yeah. if it's white or blonde. And even when you grow it in, unless it's super, super thick, it's really yeah. going to look weird. Um, yeah, it
1: does. It was pretty. I'm telling you, I was up close, you know, and he's rocking back and forth and rocking toward me. So I got a good look, but, <laughs> but you're right. He, you can't, you can't, it's hard. It was, it's difficult. Blonde beards are hard. Blonde beards are hard. And, I and you know it's also, you know, it's also very disturbing is so when I, uh, when I was younger, probably I didn't know how long ago I used to have generally a goatee. I always wore a goatee. And then, Somewhere along the lines with kids, I just decided just to take it off. It was just easier. I don't know. So then I shaved it and I was shaving regularly for, I don't know, 10 years. And then I went, hey, I'm going to grow my goatee back. And I, I did it. And it came in, and it came in gray. I mean, I, there wasn't a transition for me of it getting grayer. It went from I remember it being dark to the next time I grew it in, it was gray yeah that's very frustrating. see you've got uh, the gray just seeping in slowly oh yeah right? mine I,
0: I i love it because mine looks like it's like full werewolf beard like it's it is really impressive stuff um well, and it's not even just gray like I get a little bit of gray, but it's white like it's shot through with white hairs, which uh
1: okay, so when that goes really gray white like in you know you mean when I have Jerry or- Azanaro's beard <laughs> yes, are you gonna keep it? Of course. Okay. Even though you at 36 will look 58. I already look 58. That's fine. No, you don't. I look like a a youthful 48. Um, When you shave and you're all gussied up, you look – how old are you? 32? 33. 33. Oh, your birthday's coming up 34 wow yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah your birthday
1: is on Jim Moore's birthday
0: that's right I remember how you guys used
1: to hug and
0: we used to and embrace I mean we
1: would go out for yeah. dinner
0: just the two of us candle yeah yeah
1: yeah but I mean you look your age you don't look any old but that a gray beard will make you look older and the grayer it yeah we'll see see
0: I've never I, I've never cared um I mean I have a big beard like obviously I don't care
1: yeah um, but that, that beard is a beautiful thing. Until it, it, it goes shock white, then we'll see what you do.
0: Oh, I'm going to wear it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear this thing until the grave. I haven't seen my clean-shaven face in, we're talking eight years now, probably, since I've seen myself fully clean-shaven.
1: There was something, was it, on, was it on Skype? There was something where your clean-shaven face would come out at me and I'd go, look at that guy. Look at him. That's even that,
0: are, even that was trimmed down. That was not fully clean.
1: No, there was a fully clean... Uh, oh, my email.
0: My, my email my email account photo is fully clean. There you this go. is a really interesting conversation, I think, for everyone out there, so I'm excited.
1: Oh, um, are we doing this?
0: I think we're doing a podcast still. Um, okay. Anyway, end thing with Chip Kelly and the media. Look, broad scheme of things, everyone's right. It doesn't really matter. But it yeah. does a little, and I think that's the bone of contention. It matters a little... And it's not smart. Like, this isn't smart behavior. It's something yeah. else. It's a tick. It's some antipathy for the media. It's something else. And that's fine. But it's not smart. Let's not talk about this like it's a smart, efficient, strategic strategy. Because it isn't. Okay? If we can all get the language of it behind, we can stop talking about it forever. Because it doesn't It doesn't really, really matter. It just matters a little. Um, and that's, that's fine. We can all d- agree to disagree on that. But let's just not. Let's stop calling it smart behavior.
1: It's not. Okay, yeah, Good. and I'm fine with it. it. I mean, I. It's fine. It's whatever. I mean, yeah. lots of coaches I, I, I'm, I'm having media. kind of a little bit of fun with it. Actually,
0: Jim Mora. Jim Mora um, was not as much of a consistent, like condescending person, but when he was bad, he was much worse than Chip Kelly ever was. Um, or oh my god! Yeah. you
1: thought you were a little bit afraid.
0: Well, nobody, yeah. nobody likes being yelled at. Um, yeah. So, so Mora, yeah, he was a little bit over the top. Carl Darrell was actually similarly condescending and honestly had less of a reason to be. So yeah. that one yeah. actually felt worse cuz it's like come on buddy like you, oh, you, I, I, you know I, as I much chips. about this as I do Carl.
1: Yeah. Chips so much better than Carl Darrell.
0: Yeah. Honestly yeah. it's 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 not really comparing against anyone it's just yeah. like dealing with the day to day of it I can imagine just kind of wears a little bit. Sure. Um, okay. Uh, do you have any other general takeaways from the fall camp so far?
1: Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get takeaways when you're watching 20 minutes and it's mostly stretching, special teams. Whose glutes a, look good? No. <laughs> and a few position drills, and and you know that's about it. We have the linebackers and the defensive line right in front of us. That's why we tend to write about them a lot. And to look at the far field, since the linebackers. And defensive line are right in front of us. You can't look through them and see the far field. Um, and even if there are times when I'll move all the way down to the end of the field so I can watch the quarterbacks or watch the offensive line, and they're so far away, and you know at, at that time they're doing the drills they're doing, you you can't draw any conclusions from anything. I mean. I guess I think I wrote at one point that all the backup quarterbacks, like what we've had an experience with when quarterbacks get to a program, they generally look really bad. I mean, they're all, they just can't throw. They, the, the two walk-ons, the two new walk-ons actually throw decently uh, for walk-on quarterbacks. And uh, Colson Yankoff has a, a decent to a good arm, at least from what I've seen. Uh, not really amazing or exceptional, but he, you know, given it where UCLA's quarterbacking has been, when you see a guy who's six four and you know when he's really athletic and he has, a, um, you know, a Pac-12 arm, you're just happy, right? <laughs> so there's all that. Um, I there. I guess I'm probably a little worried about inside linebacker at this point uh, with the loss. Of Tyree Thompson, you've now moved in, Lokenito um, Toaloa uh, and so you've got him and Chris Barnes, who are, even though <laughs> UCLA has said to me, I-, I think this was a chip comment last year, one of those one of those kind of comments where he said, you know, both of our, oh, he said we don't have. Uh, a will linebacker.
0: No, he said, we don't have a will. I don't know what that is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, they generally have had the, what is traditionally the Mike linebacker, Chris Barnes. And then, hold on. Kind of hang, on was, hang on. I got to do the best yeah. one.
0: The best one from last year. And this is again, back to the okay. chip thing, but the best one from last year, Tracy was you asked him, how is Dorian Thompson Robinson developing on the read option? And he said, That's a good question. It was fine. It was completely fine. And he said, "Uh, I don't know. He's doing fine. We only run a few of those plays a game. We actually don't do – we really don't do the read option. And that was the one where he was like, um, you know, a lot of people who who watch a football game really don't know what they're looking at or some crap like that. And then literally in the same interview, four questions later, somebody asked him uh, about something. And he's like, well, Dorian was doing a good job with his reads at the defensive end. No one went to pull – like – and it was like, what, man – at least keep the like, consistency of your trolling from question to question. Don't troll one way and then answer another question legitimately. At least go consistently the whole way through. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue yours.
1: Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but without Tyree Thompson and they... they I like... I think Lokenny's is a solid backup Mike type of guy. But now you've got two guys... I mean, Lokenny is like 250-something Chris Barnes is a big dude, and there isn't necessarily a lot of quickness at those two inside linebacker spots. Uh, And then the backups right now are Bo Calvert, um, uh, and then Javari Anderson, who looked like he was a little gimpy the other day, Uh, and then um, John Ward and a converted true freshman safety in Carl Jones and then walk-ons. So it's funny how you can lose one guy and even though you thought, wow, they had some depth there um, and you lose one guy and it kind of changes the whole perspective on it. Uh, we did see as we wrote, like in one walkthrough, they were moving in in some different packages. I'm not gonna give too much away, but they were moving Langi uh, to inside too because he's kind of a versatile kind of guy well I would would also outside linebacker
0: I would also think Josh Woods in a pinch I mean he played inside last year or he was going he was slated to play inside last year
1: right in a pinch probably yeah I guess that's more what I was thinking
0: with um, with Tyree potentially being out is that they just have more bodies capable of playing the position this year not knowing who it is or you know whether they're going to be able to play at that level as you know, because Tyree by the end of last year was looking pretty good, and I think he was, you know, developing through this offseason as well. Um, so, getting somebody in there who's going to provide, you know, that athleticism as well as um, his quality of play is probably going to be a little bit of a challenge.
1: Righto. Um, um, go ahead. Let's see. Other concerns? Uh... Um, you know, I'm always, I've, after that season, you know, you, you just have to be vastly concerned about special teams. They are spending, uh, they're showing us in that 20 minutes a real attention to detail and technique in special teams. We have it right in front of us just, and, and it's not just Derek Sage, it's Paul Rhodes just really stressing every last detail of um, mostly punt and kickoff coverage. Um, which wasn't very good last year. So there's that. Uh I I have a concern at this point about uh JJ Molson's holder. And, and not personally at Wade Lease. but so JJ Molson comes to UCLA. I can't even remember his fir- first holder, but he went from that holder to Colin Flintoff to uh Matt Lynch to now Wade Lees. He's had... Who was his first holder? Do you remember? Um, I think Jerry New had left, right? I think so. It, it, regardless, I mean, that, uh, that's just trivia. Someone will tell us in the forum. But he's had four holders. And if you're familiar with kicking at all, you know a kicker's mentality. The main thing about holding and snapping is that it's a mental thing. It's not even necessarily that the guy's a lot better. It's just you have confidence... Kicking is all about mental. And in spring, J.J. was just nails. And that was with Matt Lynch holding for him. I mean, he had a great spring. He was nailing everything straight down, middle of the uprights. I don't think I saw him shank one kick. And now, beginning in in fall, when we've watched him, a lot more inconsistent with his kicks. Um, like pushing it right or a little bit of a line drive left. And that's usually not necessarily the hold, but it's the confidence you might have in the hold. Now they've got two weeks. You can get this down pretty quickly. I know when they went from Colin Flintoff to Matt Lynch, there was kind of that same feeling, but then Matt Lynch and JJ got on the same page, got in sync. So maybe that can also happen in two weeks. Um, They do it because, like what J.J. said in his interview, they do it because then if you have a holder who's part of special teams, they can practice together. And that's all well and good, but you still got to run the guy out there who's like the best at doing that role, I think, regardless. I mean, yeah, practice. But if right at this exact moment Matt Lynch is still better at holding for J.J., don't you send him out on the field? Yeah. So a little, little bit of a concern there, uh, but there are two weeks, and I've seen kickers and holders get it down in two weeks quite frequently. It can happen. It's not a long shot. Um, I guess I'm going through a lot of concerns, aren't I? You are. Uh, uh, I think that's probably – you know we just don't get – like I said, and I keep saying, we don't get to see much. Uh, I would love it if just one practice, they would let us go sit at Lot 8 rather than sit on the north side of uh, Spalding Field. I'd take 20 minutes there, one practice, but I'm sure that would never go over too well. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to see everything. Um, what has been, just from your standpoint of reading reports and also talking to me, what has been your... Have you kind of have you kind of gone back or changed what you thought going in before fall camp?
0: No, not really. Um, I think so. I, I don't think any of it has actually impacted me much. I, I think I'm still operating under the same general sense of things, which is I think the offense. Again, assuming there aren't catastrophic in quantity injuries um because right now okay so say let's just for instance let's say theo howard joshua kelly and alec anderson are all out for game one not even just limited but out okay so what does that mean it means your offense is going to be dorian thompson robinson who you know it sounds like he's looking better in fall camp right
1: um, I haven't been able to see it necessarily. I mean, I can look across and he's throwing the ball well. I mean, he's got, it's coming yeah, out of I his mean, hand well. Enough. I've heard, yeah, I've heard from people that he has improved his reads and decision making. So, yeah.
0: So, so let's say it's Dorian Thompson Robinson handing off to a second year back in Martel Irby, who for, you know, for my money was good last year. I mean, for a yeah. true freshman um, who we weren't expecting a ton from going into the year to End the year averaging 4.2 yards per carry and really closing the year strong? Okay. And then you've got a receiving core that includes, you know, guys like Chase Coda, who came on strong at the end of the year. Uh, Michael Ezekie. Uh Kyle Phillips, who's coming back.
1: Um, <laughs> who is that second one?
0: Azeke. Ezeke? Yeah, Ezekie? but the way
1: you said it, you know, Michael Ezekie, like oh, you Yeah, like he's Ata- like Italian. Italian.
0: Yeah. Um, and, but Devin Asiasi, who we've been hyping up forever, um, or have, have had hyped to us forever. And
1: uh, Kyle Phillips, who is their guy.
0: Yeah, who's their guy. I mean, you've And Jalen
1: Irwin, who...
0: Who might blow everyone away this year. Um, right. So there's... there. I'm not worried about skill talent, really, at all. And on the offensive line, my operating philosophy going into the year was they can deal with one injury. Um, and sure, this will be a test of that, and it's not at the opportune moment, but... They can deal with one injury. I think the offensive scheme is good enough. I think the continuity at the other line positions is good enough that they'll be able to deal with it. So, no, it hasn't yet changed my opinion about the season. What would change it is if there truly are catastrophic injuries over the next two weeks. Like if we if we hear about an ACL for another one of the offensive linemen. If Boss Tagaloa goes down. If uh, you know if if Dorian Thompson Robinson goes down at any point, obviously, um, but there's nothing nothing significant has happened in, in fall camp for me to change my opinion in a negative way yet
1: you know it's really it's really funny and i'm doing this uh uh with you know 2020 hindsight if i we're looking back on the 2019 recruiting class and obviously there were a lot of issues and we brought them up repeatedly <laughs> and and they just seemed to miss to kind of miss the boat on a lot of different positions Misjudging how many they needed like at outside linebacker, inside linebacker and defensive line. They got lucky at defensive line. I mean, just certain things, but if you look back on it and you'd have to think, and we had mentioned it a few times, but I, I think there should have been a, a recognition that we need to bring in some JC offensive linemen. Yeah. Uh, Bigger, physically developed guys who were probably pretty raw, but at least they played, you know, J.C. college football. They're physically developed, who would at least be able to give you some, you know, once you get them in the system, they, they probably would have come in in January, been there for spring practice, probably have been ready to play rather than someone like, you know, a, a freshman who's, you know, not even close to being there physically, not close to playing. Um, If I look back on it right now, thinking about maybe the mistake made in recruiting, how about at least one or two J.C.? Remember, we were hearing they were going to try to get some offensive linemen uh, grad transfers, but that at that time was less likely than even getting a J.C. offensive lineman. And there were some J.C. offensive linemen that they touched on recruiting them a bit. And then never really followed through that I think they could have got in academically, and they and they didn't. Um, they were looking at almost too much of like a long-term bigger picture of, you know, thinking of who we were going to bring in to develop our offensive line over the next three or four years. And I, I understand that. But I think shorter term might have been missed. Yeah. And just think right now if you had one or two J.C. offensive linemen, what that might have done for this depth chart right now.
0: Yeah. I, no, I don't want to think about that, Tracy.
1: Okay, don't think about it.
0: I won't. Um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, that would have that would change the complexion and wouldn't have me sitting here like, hey, I really hope there's not another injury. Um,
1: yeah. Because that'll <laughs> tank part of the season. Um, okay. Uh, here's the other thing. I I wrote this article today, and you might not have even read it because I just kind of. Oh, Tracy, I
0: read that on the back end weeks ago or days Uh, ago. Oh, you did? Yeah.
1: Um, If we're talking bigger picture, (laughs) segue, segue, (laughs) Dave level segue. Um, Yeah, you should all read that article because um, I do think we're a little bit immersed right here in this depressing moribund valley that we're living in post three and nine post 2009 recruiting class and there are a lot of signals and indicators that maybe we're not we're kind of ignoring because we are also beaten up by bbs the first time in 50 something years ucla has gone three uh, three seasons three losing seasons in a row so there's enough negativity and angst and i completely understand but there are enough indicators out there that uh the program has a chance right now over the next few years to really to put it together and and be successful and it's and it's mostly a lot of it what kind of sent me over i was hearing it from from parents of uh current players and from recruits and those parents obviously go on recruiting visits to other schools. They, uh, spend time at other programs. They have family, they have friends who kids are at other programs and they all, you know, they all talk and they'll compare notes. And some of the UCLA parents are saying, wow, they, UCLA is doing things with its sports science and its nutrition and things that other programs just are not doing. Um, And recruiting families and parents all coming away. I mean, that one parent who literally just said, wow, if they win, they're going to recruit really well, but they're just not a staff that recruits without winning. (laughs) So, and then the thing that kind of sent, so that was kind of accumulated. And then the thing that kind of sent me over was just that Athlon article, uh, anonymous coaches. And I don't really trust, I don't trust, uh, sports writers, especially national sports writers, they have no idea what this team team is doing. Uh, Feldman is kind of tied in. He's been given some clues. Uh, gee, I don't know from whom, but <laughs> um, most national guys don't know what's going on specifically with different programs and UCLA. Uh, I mean, remember 2014? I remember that summer when. Brett Hundley was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and I can't remember what it said. They were calling him some, like that he's the next big thing, he's the savior. And then was it Herb Street who had UCLA the surprise number one yeah. national championship? And I was just sitting back, going, "Well, that's good, but yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew too many things. I saw too many warts, so I don't trust the national." They just—it's kind of that darling syndrome, the bandwagon where they kind of jump on and they kind of adopt someone as a darling, preseason and darling to be cool or trendy or contrary. I don't know, but I kind of trust when other coaches say things. Um, and I've heard just beyond that Athlon article, I've heard some other things from some Pac-12 coaches. You would just say, just kind of offhandedly say, "Oh yeah, when Chip gets its roll, when he gets its rolling, it's going to be tough." So I think we're kind of just you know sitting in our little BBS cave like I wrote and and we we're not getting the bigger perspective on it. I'm and obviously I'm hoping that's the case, but I really do believe that that's the case. I know you're probably a little bit more pessimistic. I'm probably a little
0: bit more. I I don't disagree that there is there is a window where UCLA ends up um, perpetually good. And that's still, that's still open that window. My, my thing is, and this is, this is probably something that I'm going to have a a problem with, even if it ends up pretty good, is that however long it takes, did it really need to take that long? Um, and if that's, that's actually, if they do well, but my thing is, um, recruiting so poorly in 2019, in your first major class. And then starting off this cycle. I mean. Maybe by now it's looking a little bit better than last year. Maybe.
1: And then also Dave. Running. uh, You know. Basically the Chip Kelly purge too. Yeah. All of
0: that combined. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Uh, sure. I guess you can make the case it was necessary. But I think it ends up running into some really circular logic. Um, and I, I don't know that. I don't know that I'm ever gonna be convinced that it was necessary at that level to that extremity.
1: And it um, was also, from what I've heard, they kind of looked at that first season, and I've written this before, as almost like an exhibition season.
0: Right, which is I yeah. again I I think ridiculous. Um yeah. and already, I mean, if we're being if we're putting all the cards on the table, Chip's already laying not I wouldn't I'm not gonna go so far as to say he's laying groundwork, but he's certainly planting seeds that this is again a very young team this year. And he's dropping a yeah. lot of those sorts of sayings out there. And last year it was obviously at the end end of the day, it was to manage expectations because he was doing that off the record with a ton of people starting in April of last year. But this year, um, I don't know if he's already managing expectations for what's to be expected this year, even. And just, you know, it's college football. Season to season matters. Yeah, you can build towards something, but it's not as if you get forever out of school. Um, so I just some things where I'm like, uh, they're taking a really strategic and, and slow-moving way of doing this. And, you know, maybe it all works out. I just don't know that it would have, uh, you know, been my preferred um, path. And then the other piece is, um, while we both operate under the assumption that when they win recruits are going to come. I don't know that we've ever dealt with as uniquely a weird and let's just say it, bad recruiting staff. Um, oh, I have.
1: I, I, I disagree. I've watched so many bad recruiting staffs at UCLA. This that, bad? This oh, bad. yeah. No, no, no. Worse than this. By far worse than this. That first one when I first came in here in 1998, that first one under Bob Toledo, they were horrible. Inept. They wouldn't even use email. There were some old school okay, guys uh, on there, but we
0: can't. We like okay, but pre pre internet age recruiting staffs they barely count.
1: I okay, mean, but no, the- but this no no no, Dave. This was the internet age. I mean, they refused, and it wasn't just it wasn't just that they were they were a very poor recruiting staff, very very poor. I mean, some they were lazy, they were not effective. There were guys who just, I I mean, would not contact a recruit for like months because they were so old school. They didn't think they like what we're seeing now. Like everything's so sped up and your contact has to be so much more intense and uh, so much more often. That was still the case then. It was just it was just less so but different. It's like that every year. It just gets more intense. And that staff was the worst. They refused to come into the next step of recruiting where, hey, recruits are expecting more of you now. Uh, it was, no, that easily, not even close. Hands down. Durrell's staff was not a good recruiting staff. Um, he, for whatever reason, you know, he got all those mid-major guys and that's who he went after, if you remember. But he got some of them, but they weren't a good recruiting staff. Um, Newheisel did an amazingly good job given that half the staff was horrible. I got and I gotta attribute that to Rick Newheisel. Yeah. I mean oh, for sure. I, I, I mean, because that staff was not half of that staff was not a very good staff, at least. Um Mora's staff was better. Uh probably I'd have to go like look at each little who was on each. I can't generally just say Morris staff was better, but because each year there were different guys, but I'd say the first three years when um, they had that original staff, uh, I think they were good. Uh, That was probably the best, but I, I would put, I would put this staff better than Toledo's and this staff better than Durrell's.
0: Well, okay, whatever. Yeah.
1: We're talking about a
0: pile of crap compared to another pile of crap. Fine. Oh, but geez, I guess my point is they're not a good recruiting staff. And in today's era, guys are, being, are more likely to move out of state. Um, there's a huge exodus of California kids out to whatever the south and generally. I, we have an operating theory, one I ascribe to, but it's not 100%. I guess is what I'm saying. The win and they will come. Yeah, I mean, we think so. I mean, that, that that's that's generally the operating assumption for UCLA. But combine it with a staff that hasn't shown, and and it's not even just that they haven't shown great effort. It's that they have shown a very unique strategy with recruiting um, that is different um, from you know what UCLA staffs have done in the past. I I I don't know. I I don't know that just simply winning is going to change it so much that you know it, it's sustainable long term.
1: Now I think you'll see a very similar um, kind of arc that you're seeing with Chris. If UCLA wins under Chip Kelly, you'll see the same kind of uh, development and uh, in recruiting as you're seeing with Chris Peterson in Washington. I think that's a a a really when they first got to Washington everyone's was bemoaning that he's recruiting like he still at Boise State they weren't necessarily recruiting really hard and and kind of misevaluating and then he won a little put it together and then they've kind of felt their groove it's just so much easier to recruit and and just mentally to go in and want to recruit when you're selling a 10 win season uh, i mean Coaches will recruit more aggressively when they have a lot more to sell.
0: Yeah. Well, we will certainly see. But, yes, I, I, I agreed with most of it. I think there's absolutely still a window um, available for UCLA to be uh, very, very, very good under Chip Kelly. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, last little thing I want to touch on were your interviews with the Hoops coaches, um, which I thought were great. Uh, both guys came off really, really well. Um, loved everything I heard from Cronin. I thought Savino's, um uh, kind of blow by blow of all the players was just, that was, you know, having a very good understanding of his roster already is, uh, that's a really good sign. So I, I liked, uh, what was your favorite part of doing those?
1: Oh God. It's hard to just say to narrow it down to one. i, I I think what I get from them, probably the one favorite part was the number one takeaway is that when they say they're going to make their guys tough and play hard, that's just not coach speak. I I completely believe it because I talked to them also off the record and they're, they're like in this complete mindset of you don't play unless you play hard. I, I, like I, that's just naturally what basketball is. You only play if you play hard. Right. Uh, so there was someone on the board, on the basketball board, who talked about how low his expectations were for the basketball program now. And I think we've all had our, our expectations lowered. I would just like to, I would love to see a team play hard. Just the entire season, just play hard, and you come away watching that game saying, "Wow, they play hard," or that guy didn't play hard, and they, and they yanked him. Um, that's what I would like to see. Um, maybe making a lot of mistakes, of course, but just playing hard. And that's that was my takeaway, my impression from them. The most was that it wasn't they weren't just saying it wasn't coach speak. It, it's basketball, play hard. It's yeah. like they're. it's one and the same thing. It's like that's what that's that's basketball. And if not, you don't play basketball. So that that's that was my biggest takeaway.
0: Yeah, I thought that was right. And, you know, I, I think um, we talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But there's enough talent on this team that if they do get that buy in and they do play hard, I mean, assuming Singleton and, and Tiger Campbell come back relatively healthy, um, th- this team has potential. I mean, it's not as if they're walking into a complete and utter rebuild. Um, there's there's enough talent on this team to compete in the Pac-12. I don't know if they can win it, but certainly compete um, and finish top four and and you know get into the NCAA tournament and do something. Um, I think there's there's absolutely that potential for this team and. If they get the right amount of buy-in, I mean, it could be a lot of fun to watch as early as this year. Um, and I, I think even, if, like, set your expectations low, and I think that's great, and I think everyone should do it, because, look, set your expectations at them playing hard, and you're going to be really, I think, pleasantly surprised by what this team looks like this year, because there's there's enough talent on this team to be a good team.
1: I'd say that was another takeaway. And they almost... Uh... Coach Savino and Coach Cronin, I think they almost had to um, hold back a little because they didn't want to necessarily raise expectations. But you did see them refer a couple of times like, yeah, this is the kind of kid we'd be like jumping for joy if we got him at Cincinnati. Yeah, exactly. I, I think they're knocked out a little bit by the talent and also how much talent was on the team <laughs> and how poorly they did. Well, I, I think they – and. They did not tell me this. This is my impression is there's so much talent here. I mean, and they're knocked out, I think, by how much they underperformed and underachieved.
0: I mean, I know, um, I know it would give like uh, Chip Kelly hives if we just counted the stars. But like if you look at this team, I mean, what was Cincinnati dealing with year after year? Maybe they had one four star on their team, like one former yeah. four star. Yeah. The whole thing is like high threes, fours and five stars. That's the whole thing on UCLA. Yeah,
1: yeah. Jalen
0: Hill is not a guy that they get at Cincinnati. Like you don't, no. you don't have a guy that athletic. You
1: could go through the most of the of this roster. They don't get it at Cincinnati.
0: Sharif um,
1: O'Neal. I mean, you don't get it at Cincinnati. Oh no, no, you can't. Don't even say that. But Tiger Campbell. I mean, they tried to recruit Tiger Campbell, and they're. I mean, and Tiger Campbell could be a very, very good college player, but he's, you know, I'll just say it. Sorry, Tiger, but he's probably not an an NBA player. Yeah. Um, and they Cincinnati probably couldn't touch him. He was getting recruited at such a higher level. Um, Hell, I'll you throw could, this
0: out there. Chris Smith. I mean, you're oh, probably no, not Chris get, Smith. getting an athlete like him at Cincinnati. Nope. I
1: don't think you do. So I think they're secretly a little giddy at what they have to work with. I would be. Um, yeah. Even though they know there's so many elements it's going to take to bring it all together um but here's here's the other thing too this is the part that gives me hope um there there aren't there there aren't really uh, let's say this there there isn't a diva element left over from the alford era there aren't guys if you've noticed chip kelly did the purge and Mick Cronin didn't. And I think Mick Cronin would have been just as much, just as would have just as easily not allowed someone to return to his team. If he didn't think he was the type of guy he wanted in his program. Um, You noticed, uh, coach Savino talked about what gym rats. yeah, Uh, uh, both Jalen Hill and Cody Riley are that they live in the gym. um, I uh, and I'll just single one guy out, and I think this is a big key. I'm so curious to watch Prince Ali because yeah. Prince Ali's effort level, I thought, was massively inconsistent. He'd he'd flash some uh, some effort and play some defense, and then then a trip down the court, he'd let someone just go right by him. Yep. So I want to see Prince Ali play, and I would bet. I'll I'll bet if he doesn't play hard, they'll they'll yank him pretty quickly. And I think Prince Ali probably realized he could have gone anywhere. He's a a graduate. He could have gone anywhere and played, and he probably thought it's best if I stay here and this is probably the kind of coaching I need if I want to play on the next level. So he made that decision to stay when he could have left. A lot of people – you know, when a new coach comes in, you, you, you kind of don't have a choice. You're going to lose a year of eligibility if you go someplace else or sit out. He, he could have gone and been immediately eligible wherever he went and decided to stay. So that's all. those are all just great indications to me. Um, there isn't a diva element. And I'm so looking forward to not just watching them. And even if they lose, but there's, there isn't a diva element on the team. Yeah.
0: So yeah. Well, very cool. If you haven't had a chance to go watch those interviews, do so now. Um, it'll just take you, I don't know, like an hour and a half, and then come right back and listen to the rest of the show. But, um, yeah, <laughs> they were, uh, those were both really enjoyable to listen to, and they'll give you a little bit of a good feeling about UCLA basketball going forward if you check them out.
1: Tracy, I've got nothing else. You got anything else? Nothing else. I'm done. I'm going to sleep. I, I just didn't have that cup of coffee, and I'm dying.
0: We're dead. We are dead. Uh, but we'll be back again next week, our living corpses, um, ready to recap more of fall camp and start previewing the season. Season previews coming out next oh, week.
1: Um, there we go, Dave. I'm looking of, forward
0: to that. Lots of good fun. So uh, sure. tune in next week for all of that. And until then, I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And uh, that's Tracy Pearson. And we'll talk to you next time. See you all later.